I hope you had a very good Thanksgiving. Uh, it was a joy for us as a family. We've been hanging out here in town. I did some hiking and biking and ate like kings and queens. One of my favorite holidays to get to celebrate with my family. And this week as I was doing my study, I was reminded of one of the great heroes of the faith, a guy by the name of William Borden. William Borden was born into a very wealthy family just outside of Chicago in 1887. His mother took him to church, to Moody Church, where he heard the gospel and trusted in Christ. He committed himself to diligent Bible study and prayer. For his 16th birthday, his parents gifted him with a trip around the world. How about that for being a millionaire, right? So he traveled on his 16th birthday throughout Asia and Europe and the Middle East. But it was on this trip that he was burdened for hurting people in the world. It was there that he felt a call to be a missionary. William was a millionaire. He had his whole life in front of him. And one friend wrote to him in disbelief over his commitment to become a missionary and said, you're throwing your life away. But William was immovable. He wrote in his journal, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. William was undeterred from what God had called him to do. And his mission would be to go to China and reach the Muslims with the gospel. You see, for us as individual followers of Jesus, it is essential that we have soft, open hearts to the Lord. That as God leads, calls, and prompts us to take the gospel to those who do not know him, that we are eager and ready and willing to say yes. It's amazing to me. We saw last week in the life of Philip, a man who was reaching thousands of Samaritans with the gospel. But now we see where he leaves the thousands under the call of God, all for the sake of one. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going through the book of Acts together as a faith family, this historical narrative. Yesterday I was doing a little bit of research and I realized that we've been going through the book of Acts since January, okay? We're only in chapter 8. Bless your hearts, okay? I'm doing the best I can. But I say all that to say we're probably going to spend two weeks in this passage, okay? <laughs> I love what's happening here in Acts 8 in verses 26 through 40. There's so much to unpack here. We've seen so far in the book of Acts how the early church began, Jesus, before he ascended up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We get to Acts chapter 2, and we see where the Spirit of God falls at Pentecost. Peter stands up, preaches the gospel. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. The church was born. And it was from that that God began a movement that even through persecution of religious leaders in Jerusalem, the gospel continues to flourish. The church continues to multiply. We get to Acts chapter 7 and we see where Stephen, a deacon in the early church, is martyred for his faith in Christ. That he is stoned for his bold proclamation of the gospel before the Sanhedrin. Through his death, we see in Acts 8 that the church scatters. 
that brothers and sisters are running for their lives away from Jerusalem. But as they are going, they're taking the gospel with them. They're preaching the word as they are running for their lives away from Jerusalem. We saw last week where God calls Philip, another one of the deacons from Acts chapter 6, who goes into Samaria. We looked at the lives of the Samaritans, the history of who they are. If you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go back and look online because there's so much to unpack in regards to the Samaritans. And Philip goes to the Samaritans and he's preaching the gospel and this crazy thing starts happening. They start coming to faith in Christ. They start believing the gospel. Well, Peter and John leave Jerusalem to come and validate that the rumors of what's happening in Samaria are true. They come to give apostolic authority and recognition that these, really, these Samaritans are really coming to faith in Christ. They get there and all of a sudden they realize this is for real. These Samaritans are coming to faith in Christ. So the apostles, once they confirm the salvation of these Samaritans, they lay hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing to see what God is doing through these Samaritans. But then God taps Philip on the shoulder and leads him to a new work. And that is where we pick up in Acts 8, beginning with verse 26. And the scripture says this, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There's an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's amazing to me. To see this effective evangelist who is boldly preaching the gospel. And here we sit in this historical moment in time. And I want to know how can we as a church, as individual believers, be found faithful in our evangelism? This morning, as we study the text, 
I want you to notice what faithfulness looks like as we look and see how Philip preached the gospel. And I want you to notice in the text these three characteristics. Look at this, look at the text with me. I want you to see first that faithfulness to Jesus in evangelism necessitates rapid obedience. Rapid obedience. Philip has postured his heart to be sensitive to the Lord's leading and speaking into his life. An angel of the Lord spoke to him and he immediately obeys. There's no hesitation. There's no doubts. There's no second guessing. There's no armchair quarterbacking. He listens and he obeys. This is a picture of what you and I are called to be as followers of Jesus. At the moment you believe the gospel, the hands on the steering wheel of your life are no longer yours. That indeed you hop out of the driver's chair of your life and Jesus is the one who dictates your future. You follow him, not the other way around. That when you gave your life to Christ, you are no longer the captain of the ship of your life. God is the one who directs your life. Well, how can we know where he is leading us? It's by being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit confirmed through the Word. Here is Philip doing a great work in Samaria, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him to go down south. He appears to him and calls him to this new work. This is what God is calling us to do, is to have sensitive, soft hearts, to listen to the leading of the spirits. It's amazing that when you submit your life to the leadership of God, your life actually gets better. One of the lies of the enemy is that when he makes some believers think that if you submit your life completely to Jesus, your life gets worse. That's a lie. When you submit and surrender your life completely to Jesus, that's where you find life. Life gets better. Not easy, by the way. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy and roses. In fact, it's often going to be painful, but you're going to have this joy and this purpose that comes not from you, but by submitting your life to Christ. It reminds me of Ephesians 2.10, where Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word for workmanship is the word poema. It's where we get the word for poem. It means literary masterpiece. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you give the pen of the story of your life and you hand it to Christ. And he begins to write the story of your life. And by the way, that story is far better than any story you could write. Give the pen of your life into the hands of the omnipotent author of life. Let him write the story of your life. Submit yourself completely to his lordship and allow him to be the one who moves you where he wants you to be. Here is Philip, sensitive to the leading and the prompting of God, directing him towards this new work. But what's interesting is that Philip is leaving a thriving work in Samaria. Revival has broken out amongst these people. The word of God is flourishing. And by the way, Samaria is a beautiful place. In fact, I took this picture back in March when I was there. This is what Samaria looks like. It's lush. It's green. It's great for farming and agriculture. This is where Philip is preaching and thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. And an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him to go to Gaza. Right? Gaza is a desert land. It's 
parched, it's dry, it's arid, and the Lord is calling him away. Here is Philip hitting the sweet spot of ministry. People are coming to Christ. Their lives are being changed by the gospel. And now, God, you're calling me away from this? Obedience looks like foolishness to those who are not walking in the Spirit. Let me say that again. Obedience looks like foolishness to those who are not walking in the Spirit. When God puts a call upon your life, you obey and you trust the Lord with the consequences. When God puts a calling on your life, obey and trust Him with the consequences. The Lord called Philip to go to the southbound lane of the Gaza interstate. Philip does not know the who, the why, or the what when he gets there. He simply obeyed. God called him to go, and he went. God calls him to speak, and he speaks. Can I tell you a time in which I didn't do that well? I was a student at the University of Kentucky, and I parked my car in the parking lot over by the stadium, and it was a long walk back to my dorm. And as I'm walking, there's a man having a smoke break who just finished cleaning one of the dorms, and he's just sitting there on the stairs. And the Spirit was impressing upon me, go share the gospel with him. And my thought was, i got a lot to do today. I've got to study. I've got work later. There's a lot of things i got going on. And I walked right by him. And to this day, I still see his face. And I still feel the regret. Can I say to you, you will never regret obeying the Lord. You will never regret obeying the Lord. The Lord is calling Philip away from this prosperous work where he is getting to see fruit of his labor. Thousands of people coming to Christ, lives being changed, marriages being restored, people turning from sin and people coming to Christ. It's an amazing work and God calls him away and he immediately obeys. There's a rapid obedience to Philip as he does exactly what God calls him to do. So may we be a people who do not hesitate. We don't second guess. We don't armchair quarterback. Obeying the plan that God has for us to do. Faithfulness to Jesus in evangelism necessitates rapid obedience. But the second thing we see in the text is that faithfulness to Jesus in evangelism necessitates evangelistic urgency. As Philip gets to the area God told him, the Spirit told Philip, verse 29, go and join that chariot. God keeps giving Philip that same command, go. He tells him back in verse 26, get up and go. Verse 29, go and join that chariot. May I say to you, church, God has given us the same command. In the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus gives his church the command to go. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The command of our King is to go. Oh, that we would be a going church. 
Not just a sending church in which we're sending people out to plant churches and missionaries to the nations, yes and amen, but we're also a going church in which we, all of us, are in this room, raise our hands and say, yes, I'm going across the street. Yes, I'm going across the city. I'm going wherever God calls me so that the gospel can go forth. That we'd be a going people marked by obedience to the command of Christ to go and make disciples. Will you join William Borden in saying no to self and yes to Jesus? Oh, that you and I would put our yes on the table so that when Jesus calls us to a task, our first answer is absolutely yes, I'm all in. You send me, Lord. Can I say to you one of the ways that you're showing that you're prepared to go is you get your passport updated? If you're serious about wanting to do this, go get that ready so that when the Lord calls, you're ready. There's an urgency to this, y'all. It matters that we get this gospel to the nations. I was lamenting with a police officer in our church this morning as he was sharing with me the significant drug problems that we're facing in our community. And they are significant. Far more than I knew. And we have the answer to the drug problem in Shelby County. It's the gospel that Jesus is the one who changes hearts. Jesus is the one who changes lives. And the way that we get this gospel that changes people's lives away from sin, away from self, away from pride, away from arrogance, is to give them the gospel. Point them to the one who bled and died on their behalf the one who gladly and voluntarily gave his life and bled and died so that in him they can find life. This is the gospel that we proclaim. But Carl F.H. Henry got it exactly right when he said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. We have a gospel to get to the nations and our neighbors. And there is an evangelistic urgency to the task. Kenneth, how do we do this? How can we as individual believers be evangelistic in our conversations? Well, I put in your notes three keys to effective evangelism that we see Philip modeling for us right here in the text. Okay, ways that you can engage people in one-on-one -on -one conversations and leverage that for the gospel. Okay, here, here's the first key. The first key is to listen to what they say. You want to be great at evangelism? Be a great listener. Verse 30, Philip heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Effective personal evangelism requires being a good listener. It means putting your phone down, making eye contact, leaning in, and listening. You see, listening is a fruit of humility. It's a way to build a bridge, a connection with someone else. You build the relationship. It builds trust. We live in a culture that is not interested in people preaching at them. Before people want to know what you know and what you believe, they want to know, do you care about me? Are you even interested in what I have to say? 
Being a good listener is what Philip is doing. He hears the Ethiopian eunuch and what he's reading in regards to Isaiah. For us, as we engage in these conversations, it matters that you listen, that you lean in to what people are saying. I'm not great at this, by the way. I'm kind of the, of the persuasion of, like, I, I, this is what it is. Let me tell you what it is, right? But if you want to be effective at personal evangelism of one-on-one conversations, be a good listener. Number two, ask them good questions. Verse 30, Philip asked them, do you understand what you are reading? You see, asking good questions enables you to move the gospel, uh, move the conversation towards the gospel, right? Curiosity opens up all kinds of great conversations. Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch one question, and it opened up a great conversation about Jesus. He invites Philip up to the chariot, and they begin discussing Isaiah 53. So having good questions. Here's a couple of questions that I I keep in my back pocket, okay? Uh, Question I'll ask someone. Hey, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? It's a great question. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. Every human being alive knows that eternity is ahead of them. Everybody. Everyone knows there's something more than this life. God put it there. But unbelievers suppress the truth, Romans 1. They will cover up that voice within them, telling them about eternity. They don't want to think about what's five billion years from now. They want to think about the here and now, right? And so what we do with that question is we're speaking to their conscience. We're reminding them eternity is ahead. This is not the end. This life is so brief in light of what is about to come. Eternity hangs in the balance. And so through this question, we're getting them thinking about what's happening thousands, millions, billions of years from now. We want them thinking about the future. Another question is that when you die, what do you think is on the other side? It's a great question I'll ask to someone who's kind of a free spirit. I mean, what's what's on the other side? What happens when you take your last breath? What do you think? And what's good is that now they have the opportunity and the freedom to share their opinion, which they want to do. People like talking about what they believe. So you're opening the door. Another way you can do it is if if you were to die tonight and God said, why should I let you in? What would you say? How they answer that is showing you what they're banking their eternity on. Is it their good works, them being a good person? Or is it based upon the work of Jesus for them? Another great question is, why do you wear that cross? A lot of people in our culture will wear crosses, earrings, and necklaces, and t-shirts. And in that conversation, hey, tell me about the cross. Why why do you wear that? I was at the mall, and there was this guy who kind of looked like a big, strong thug. And I thought, that's a guy I want to talk to. And so I walked up to him. He had this big gold chain. It was studded with diamonds. Beautiful piece, right? And I said, hey, man, tell me about that cross. Why do you like it so much? And he said, I think it's cool. And I said, yeah. I said, man, did you know that a cross is an ancient instrument for torture and murder? His eyes got really big. And I said, did you know that Jesus is God's son and he was tortured and murdered on a cross for you? And all of a sudden, 
or in the gospel. Having good questions will help you initiate these conversations, just like Philip is having here with this Ethiopian eunuch. These are easy ways you can get into these conversations to talk with people about the gospel. So you got to be a good listener. you got to ask good questions. But thirdly, you have to tell them about Jesus. Okay? There's a purpose to this conversation. This is not a bunch of old guys sitting at McDonald's drinking coffee, right? We're trying to get to the gospel. Verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. So he begins unpacking Isaiah 53. And Philip helped the Ethiopian to understand that Jesus was the sheep that was led to the slaughter. That Jesus was like a lamb before its shears. Jesus did not open his mouth before his accusers. That Jesus was humiliated. Jesus was denied justice. Jesus' life was taken from the earth. That Isaiah 53 is about Jesus. So can we preach the gospel from the Old Testament? Absolutely. Here is Philip taking Isaiah 53 and he's making a beeline to the cross. He's headed to Christ saying, Isaiah 53 is pointing you to the son of God. His name is Jesus who suffered and bled and died for the sins of the world. And anybody who turns from sin and trusts in him by faith, you will be received by God. That this sacrifice this lamb who was led to the slaughter did not stay dead. For on the third day, he came back to life. He defeated death. And so too will anybody who trusts in him. This is Philip preaching Jesus. Y'all, we have a message to preach. We have a savior to talk about. You have friends and coworkers and neighbors who need the good news of Jesus. And God has intentionally and strategically placed you in their life to point them to Christ. And you have the relationship you get to leverage to point them to the gospel. They may never darken the door of a church, but they'll hear the gospel through you. And you have an opportunity to take the gospel to those who are in desperate need of Jesus. And there is an urgency to this gospel. May this be an urgency that becomes the heartbeat of who we are as a church. That we are burdened for those who are lost and have a desire to see all people come to a saving knowledge of the truth. The third thing we see in the text is that faithfulness to Jesus in evangelism necessitates preaching with perseverance. After hearing the gospel, the Ethiopian, he believed. He was immediately baptized. It's a cool moment. They get down into the water, immersion. We get the picture here, right? They go down into the water and they come up out of the water. In fact, how about this? If you're a new believer or you've never been baptized, next Sunday, why don't you bring Schwartz in a t-shirt and you can get baptized? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, let's take that next step. At the close of the service, stop by the information center on your way out, or you can call the church office this week. We'll have three services next week, 8.15, 9.15, 10.30, and we'll get you baptized in one of those services. This is what's happening here. This guy believes the gospel and he gets baptized. Maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe today's the day of salvation when you're saying, I'm ready to follow Christ. That's awesome. We want to help you take those next steps in following Jesus. The next step is baptism. 
Water doesn't save you. It's a picture of what Christ has done in your heart, that you've been washed and made clean, that you're new by the power of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture. We just got to see two girls who profess their faith in Christ and they're showing the world, I'm following Jesus. Now you can do the same. So Philip baptizes this guy. And here's what's interesting. Philip is then carried away by the Spirit. He disappears miraculously. Okay, why? I would argue that it's a confirmation to the Ethiopian that this is God's work, not man's. God is the one who has brought him the gospel that he has believed in Jesus and has been baptized. This is the work of God. And so Philip is taken away. Philip then goes to Azotus, which is right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the coast. And he begins going town by town. And what's he doing? Verse 40, he's preaching the gospel. He still had work to do. He had to get the gospel to the nations. He had to keep going. And Westwood, may I say to us, we still have a mission to accomplish. The Great Commission has not been fulfilled yet. We still have people in our lives and around the world who are in desperate need of Christ. And so God calls you and I to be his ambassadors who go and take the gospel to tell them where they can find their hope in Christ. There is a perseverance in which we just keep preaching the gospel until we take our last breath. You know what's amazing to me? Here is Philip leaving a prosperous work in Samaria. Thousands of people. Revival. And he leaves for the sake of one person. You may be thinking, I don't have the influence over thousands. In fact, I, I, just, I just have maybe one or two people I can really influence. Maybe three. Never underestimate what God can do with just one. Because what happens to this Ethiopian eunuch? You see it there in the text. He is now headed for Africa rejoicing. Africa, the ends of the earth, now have a gospel witness because Philip left the thousands for the one. Some of you moms may be thinking, I don't have a large influence. I've just got a kid or a couple of kids and I wish I could influence thousands. Do not underestimate the work of investing in one or two people. You have no idea the impact God can do through the lives of those whom you give your lives to, investing in future generations for the sake of the gospel. There's no such thing as a small and meaningless ministry in the kingdom. Whether there's thousands of people or a handful, it matters to God. And God is able to multiply the small as much as he's able to multiply the many. Do not underestimate the impact you can have by investing in the few. In fact, the challenge I want to place before us as a, as a church, it's your impact point, it's this. It's this week I want you to seize the opportunity for at least one gospel conversation. That as you are going throughout your life on the ball field, at work, in your neighborhood, out on a walk, at the grocery store, you're praying, your eyes are open, you're looking for those conversations, and then you seize it. You take advantage and you step out of faith and say, God, give me courage. I'm going to mess this up. Here I go. And you share Christ. And you have no idea what God's going to do through that conversation. 
It's amazing to me that the Lord is able to do far more than we can ever ask or imagine according to his riches in Christ Jesus through just one conversation. Because through this one conversation, Africa now has a gospel witness. Do you remember that man who told William that he was throwing his life away to be a missionary? William was undeterred. And he wrote inside the back cover of his Bible these two words, no reserves. After high school, William went to Yale University where he was a gospel force to be reckoned with. While the faculty taught empty philosophy and humanism, he rallied people into prayer groups and started Bible studies. What started off with just him and a friend multiplied into a movement that by the end of his freshman year, there were 150 freshmen meeting every week for Bible study and prayer. By the end of his senior year, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. While he was in school, he founded the Yale Hope Mission, which rehabbed alcoholics, cared for widows, orphans, and the disabled. He challenged his classmates to consider international missions as a career. Upon his graduation from Yale, Borden turned down many high-paying jobs. He wrote in his Bible two more words, no retreats. He finished his seminary, sailed for China, stopped in Egypt to study Arabic to enable him to reach the Muslims in China with the gospel. While he was in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. Borden had not only given away his wealth, but his life for the sake of the gospel. For him, it was not a sacrifice, it was a privilege. Was Borden's death a waste? Not in God's kingdom. As the story has it, prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in the back of his Bible. No regrets. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. When God calls... You obey and you trust the circumstances and your future to Him.